And open your Bible to the book of Acts and the book of Luke, Acts 21, verse 13 and 14, and then Luke chapter 1. And uh, let's go there together as we continue in this series we've been studying on the confessions of the believer. We've said, I am strong. We've talked about, I am blessed. Last week we talked about, I am able. And tonight I want to share with you, I am ready. How many of you are strong? Say it out loud. I am strong. Say, I am blessed. Say, I am able. Tonight we're going to study these words from the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 21, verse 13 and 14. He says, the Bible says, Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, The will of the Lord be done. And the key phrase I want us to look at there is, I am Ready. Say that out loud with me. I am ready. And then in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, the angel is speaking to Zacharias concerning John the Baptist, the ministry of his son who, would to be, who was to be born. And he says in verse 17, It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. So as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. When we use the phrase, I am ready, we're talking about being a people prepared for the Lord. Let's study the word of God tonight. See what God would say to us about this important topic. Father, we thank you tonight for the presence of of the Holy Spirit among us. I thank you for the opportunity we have to study the Word. And I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach the Word and that you would anoint this congregation to hear it tonight. And I pray that you would uh, speak uh, to each individual issue of our lives. We want to be a people prepared for the Lord. We ask you to do these things in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's say it again. I am ready. The phrase that I want us to study tonight is an interesting one, of course. It's in the context of Paul's departure to Jerusalem. And the the people who had been converted at that time didn't want him to go to Jerusalem because they said, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get arrested. And Paul responds and says, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound or go to prison, but also to uh, die for the name of Jesus. El contexto de nuestro pasaje esta noche, Hechos capítulo 21, Pablo está para hacer su partida a Jerusalén donde los discípulos no quieren que él vaya porque ellos saben que al llegar a Jerusalén lo van a arrestar y él les dice 
¿Por qué están llorando y quebrantando mi corazón? Porque yo estoy listo, no solamente para ser encarcelado, pero también para morir por el nombre de Jesucristo. Y esta noche vamos a hablar sobre esa frase, yo estoy listo. El pueblo de Dios siempre debe ser un pueblo listo. God's people should always be ready. The Bible tells us to be ready always. And I'll deal with that specific verse in a moment. But there is a, a constancy uh, about preparation, about readiness in the body of Christ. Debe, debe haber una uh, preparación continua en el cuerpo de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. Uh, and that is because uh, we live for the will of God, vivimos para la voluntad de Dios, so we ought to always be ready to do anything God might ask us to do at any time that he asks us to do it. Debemos de estar listo para hacer cualquier cosa que Dios nos llame a hacer en el momento que Dios nos llame a hacerlo. And uh, those opportunities uh, are uh, uh, coming from God are not to be a toyed with or missed. Esas oportunidades no las debemos de perder. And so we should live in an attitude of readiness. What is Paul ready for? ¿Qué está Pablo uh, listo para hacer? Well, uh, in, in, a, in a phrase, he's willing and ready to go the whole distance in his ministry. Él está listo para ir toda la distancia en su ministerio. How far can the Christian witness possibly go? ¿Qué tan lejos puede ir el testimonio, el mensaje de el cristiano? Well, you can uh, decide to tell your neighbor about Jesus. You can uh, decide to become a minister or a preacher. You can decide to be a missionary. You can decide to be a missionary in a nation where the gospel is Illegal. You have all these different layers of uh, of readiness. Paul says, "I'm ready to go the whole distance." Meaning, I'm not only willing to go to a place that's dangerous, but I'm willing to lay down my life for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, while he's not at that moment going to die, he already has made up his mind. That he is ready to serve the Lord to whatever extent God would require. To whatever price uh, the Lord would ask of him. Pablo está declarando aquí que uh, él está listo para correr toda la carrera. Uh, uno puede predicar, otros son misioneros, otros son misioneros a un lugar donde se prohíbe predicar y están a riesgo en su vida, pero... Uh, más allá está aún la muerte y Pablo dice yo voy a ir a, a, al nivel, a la, a, a la profundidad de la voluntad de Dios. Have you made up that kind of mind? ¿Se ha decidido usted esta noche a servir a Dios hasta el fin? Have you made up your mind tonight to say like Paul, I'm ready, I'm ready to serve God. The whole distance. To do everything and anything that God requires of me. Estar listo implica uh, estar dispuesto a hacer todo lo que se requiera. 
Now, Paul doesn't know all that is going to be required. He doesn't know all the details, but he has already made himself ready to pay whatever price, to endure whatever affliction, to follow uh, through with the calling of God on his life. Listen, friends, this is what makes the difference. And this is ultimately, the Bible tells us that in the last days, these words are spoken and it talks about the fact that he that endures to the end shall receive the crown of life. This is the attitude of the end days. Esta es la actitud de los últimos días. El pueblo del cual se escribe en el libro de Apocalipsis diciendo que el que, persever, el que perseverare hasta el fin, ese será salvo. Y también el que perseverare hasta el fin recibirá la corona de la vida. There's a crown to be won. Say amen, somebody. Hay una corona que ganar. The crown is not won by going halfway. La corona no se gana con ir a medias. La corona no se gana con a ver hasta donde llego. The crown isn't won by saying, well, let's see how far I can get. The crown is won by going the whole distance. La corona se gana con una decisión, una determinación de ir toda la distancia. I heard about a person who was... Uh, who had a, a uh, to walk with braces, they decided they were going to uh, run a marathon. Escuché de una persona que tenía que usar un aparato médico para poder pararse y caminar, y ellos decidieron correr en una maratón. And about the time they got to the finish line, they had already torn down the bleachers, they had already swept up the street, they had already... Uh, put down all the all of the vendors everybody was gone they were just wrapping up the last few details but that person made up their mind when they started that they were going to finish they didn't know they were going to win they didn't know they were even going to be acknowledged they didn't know if there were going to even be a crowd there to cheer them across the finish line but they knew this one thing I am going to finish what I started that's what Paul is saying when he says I am ready to go the whole distance I don't know if anybody's going to be there to cheer me on I don't know if I'm going to have an amen corner I don't know if anybody is going to appreciate the cost of what it takes for me to do what God calls me to do but I know one thing I am going the whole distance amen if that's you tonight so Paul is saying I am ready to go all the way I am not going to walk with God uh, just as long as I as I feel uh, that it's profitable to me or as long as I feel comfortable with it. I'm going with God the whole distance. Now that's a confession that you and I need to be able to make. And it can only be made by a heart that's sold out to the purpose of God. Esa es una confesión que usted y yo debemos poder hacer, pero solamente se puede hacer en un corazón completamente rendido al propósito de Dios. Now, Paul says these words, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? And you just kind of have to imagine they're at the dock. Uh, he's about to get on a boat. 
and everybody's crying and they're saying, we wish you wouldn't leave and it'd be better if you stayed and we'll probably never see you again. And the fact is they didn't ever see him again. And, and all of this emotion is going on, but he's got to say, I can't be moved by your emotion. And I can't be moved by my emotion. I have to, I have to be moved by the will of God. Pablo dice, ustedes están llorando, no me quieren, uh, no quieren despedirse de mí uh, y, y quieren que yo me quede, pero yo no puedo ser movido por la emoción. No puedo uh, ser movido por el consentimiento. Tengo que ser movido solamente por la voluntad de Dios. God is still looking for sold out people. Dios todavía busca personas uh, que están completamente rendidas. As a missionary, I read uh, about Adoniram Judson. Cuando fui misionero, leí la historia de uh, el misionero Adoniram Judson. Que cuando se casó, uh, when, he, uh, when he married, he, he uh, wrote his letter of proposal to his father-in-law. Él escribió su carta de, uh, de pedida. A su suegro, and in his in his letter, he said, "Sir, I am asking you to consent to me marrying your daughter and to never seeing her again in this earthly life." That's a proposal. Dice, señor, le pido la mano de su hija y le pido permiso para que ella y yo nos casemos y que jamás la vuelva a ver en esta tierra. And Adoniram Judson and that uh, lady married and they went to Burma and they never came home. Ellos fueron a Burma. She actually died in, in Burma. Ella murió en Burma y él murió regresando a casa. They never came home. They spent their entire existence from that moment on for the cause of Christ. What is it going to change our world today? What is it that's going to bring light into our darkness? What is it that's going to bring revival to America? Is it going to be a half-baked, lukewarm church that's just barely serving the Lord? It's just saying, well, we'll go along as long as it's good. As long as the going is good, we'll serve the Lord. Or what is it that's going to make the difference? It's going to be a church on fire. A church that's committed. A church that's sold out. A church that says, I am ready to go the whole distance. Whatever it takes, I am going to serve the Lord. ¿Qué es lo que va a traer el cambio a nuestra nación? El avivamiento a este país. No va a ser una iglesia a medias. Una iglesia a, a, a casi caliente, casi fría. No, va a ser una iglesia completamente comprometida con Dios. God is looking for such a church. Dios busca tal uh, iglesia. In Luke chapter 1 verse 17, we read... About the ministry of John the Baptist. What was his job? ¿Cuál era el propósito, el llamado, el ministerio de Juan el Bautista? His job was to prepare people. To prepare Israel. For the coming of the Messiah. Su trabajo era la preparación de la nación de Israel. Para la venida, la llegada del Mesías. And there's two words there. That I want you to notice in verse 17. It says... 
that he was to go so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now that phrase there is a Greek phrase that has a picture associated with it. Ahí vemos en, uh, en Lucas capítulo 1 verso uh, 17 el ministerio de Juan el Bautista de ir y preparar un pueblo o alistar un pueblo preparado para el Señor. Y esa frase uh, es un retrato en, en el griego que usted y yo no pensamos en él mucho. Uh, we don't think too much about this in our day, but basically in the, in the ancient world, there was an advanced team. We still have those in our, in our government today. Whenever a king was going to travel, cuando un rey iba a viajar, un equipo iba de avance. And their job included, of course, hospitality and where they were going to be staying and the, the, the quarters in which the king was going to stay, the food he was going to eat. Su preparación o, o el, avance, el equipo de avance iba adelante del rey que iba viajando, iba haciendo uh, su viaje y ellos iban adelante de él preparando todo para que todo estuviera listo uh, y uh, igual a lo que él quería. He, the, their job is to make sure that things are right and like the king wants them. And they even went down to including making sure that if there were potholes in the road, that the potholes were filled so that when the king was coming through, there was no discomfort. Aún llenaban los pozos en los caminos para que cuando pasare el carro del rey no hubiera ningún desajuste en el carro del rey no estuviera falta de confort ahí. Ellos estaban preparando el último detalle. They were preparing the last detail. We still have that today. The people that prepare uh, for trips by our president. Cuando um, nuestro presidente viaja, hacen lo mismo. They prepare the suite he's going to be staying in. They make sure it's safe. They make sure it's at the temperature that he likes. They make sure that uh, the foods are going to be prepared and served that are adequate. All of these things are in that phrase. John the Baptist had a ministry, and his ministry was to get people ready for the coming of the king. El ministerio de Juan el Bautista era de preparar el lugar para el pueblo de, uh, del Señor, o para la venida del de Señor. He was coming ahead of Jesus. Él iba viniendo adelante de Cristo, and his job was to fill the potholes. To get the thorn bushes out of the roadside so that Jesus could come in and Israel's heart would be prepared. And so you can imagine John the Baptist like a plowman breaking up the hard soil. And his ministry, his message was hard. It was difficult. El mensaje y el ministerio de Juan el Bautista era difícil. Y era, era fuerte. Uh, he, he was pulling up old and ancient uh, thorn bushes that had taken root in the nation of Israel. Estaba uh, sacando espinos. Estaba sacando cosas que se habían arraigado por muchas edades. Porque para que llegara el rey tenían que hacer preparaciones. Things had to be ready for the coming of the king. 
So when you read about the ministry of John the Baptist, you, you read his ministry and he was calling people to repentance. He was calling people to reject uh, uh, empty religion. Él estaba llamando un pueblo al arrepentimiento. Los estaba llamando a la santidad, al rechazo de la religión y la religiosidad. He was preparing people for the Lord. That, that's the Spirit's work in this day and age. Ese es el trabajo del Espíritu Santo en este tiempo de preparar un pueblo preparado para el Señor. Jesus is coming back. Cristo viene de nuevo. And you and I, as the church, are instruments of the Holy Spirit to make way for the Lord. Our job is to prepare our heart for the coming of the Lord and, and for, for the presence of God. And just like the tonight or any night you and I come to worship, we come and ought to come prepared to receive the Lord. Prepared to receive His presence. Cuando venimos a la adoración debemos venir preparados para recibir al Señor y también vivir en preparación para su venida. Vivir en preparación para el Señor. So tonight we're going to talk about being that people who are ready for the Lord. Un pueblo preparado para el Señor. That needs to be a burden on our heart to say, God, I want to be a people ready for you. I want to be a people ready for you. Quiero ser un pueblo preparado para el Señor. Ready for the purpose of God in my generation. Preparado para el propósito de Dios en mi generación. Now, there are several times the Bible calls us to be ready. I want us to look through those tonight. Vamos a ver varias ocasiones donde la Biblia nos llama a ser preparados. First of all, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 15. In Ephesians capítulo 6 verso 15. The Bible says that our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Dice Efesios 6.15 que nuestros pies están preparados uh, con la preparación o están cubiertos con la preparación del evangelio de la paz. Now the word there uh, is describing shoes. Ahí la palabra está describiendo los zapatos, nuestros uh, Nuestros zapatos y en esta ocasión vemos que los zapatos son una, una ilustración de la preparación. Shoes are a sign of preparation. That's why we have little phrases like, he had his boots on. What does that mean? He was ready. When you and I are, are told in the scripture to shot our feet. To wrap our feet, to tie our feet, to put on these shoes, the preparation of the gospel peace. That's a call for you and I to have our shoes on. And what are the shoes? The gospel of peace. ¿Cuáles son nuestras sandalias? La paz. You ought to be ready to make peace. Debe usted estar listo para hacer paz. Are you a peacemaker? Or are you an agitator? ¿Cuántos hacedores de paz hay aquí? ¿O no habrá un pleitista por aquí? Hay unos que están listos para hacer pleito. 
Listo para pelear. Se queman las tortillas y se arma un pleito. You burn the tortillas and there's a fight on your hands. What's, you, what's your calling? Your calling is to have the, the shoes of peace on. To be able to step into a situation. To step into a, an active situation and bring peace. Poder entrar a cualquier situación y traer paz. Traer tranquilidad. When I was uh, a, 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 a leading a, a mission trip to the Amazon, we had 20, 15 to 18-year-olds under my leadership. And I was told later that, uh, that sometimes the kids would get really anxious. Of course, we were 30 to 40 hours by boat in the Amazon, on the Amazon River, and at least 24 hours away from the nearest hospital. So, of course, they would get anxious. And, you know, then you slept in a hut and you slept in a mosquito net and you, uh, you bathed in the river. And a lot of these very uncomfortable type situations going on. So, of course... It was an anxious situation, but I was told later that they could often be very anxious. And the moment I came into the group, there was peace. That ought to represent you. That ought to be your effect on your family, on your job, on your community. That when you and I show up, we walk in with peace. Does that mean somebody? You and I have been called to have that preparation. Usted y yo debemos estar preparados siempre con los zapatos puestos. ¿Y qué son esos zapatos? La paz. We read another reference uh, in the Gospels. It tells us that, that uh, the Jews had a, a day called the day of preparation. Every week there was a day of preparation that was on Friday. Cada viernes en el pueblo judío hasta este día está un día de preparación. And the day of preparation was for the purpose of preparing the meals for the Sabbath. El día de preparación era el día en el cual se preparaban para el día sábado. Sabbath was a day in which there was no labor. El día sábado no se podía hacer trabajo. No se cocinaba nada. You couldn't cook. That would be labor. To this day, you go to, if you go to Israel or even certain parts of the United States where there's a Jewish community, you go into a hotel, there's a Sabbath elevator. On the Sabbath, they can't even push the button. So the elevator stops at every floor. You just walk on and walk off. You don't have to push any button because that would be labor. And so preparing for the Sabbath was once a week. Había un día cada semana de preparación. And you'll see it when you, if you go to Jerusalem, or you go to Israel, you'll see that on the day of preparation, everyone is buzzing. The women are rushing to the grocery store. Uh, the men are getting things ready. All these things are going on. Uh, just, like, uh, just like you and I do before uh, a storm or some kind of uh, disaster that might come. We go and get ready. That's what they're doing every single week. There's a day of preparation. And the Bible tells us that Jesus died on the day of preparation. 
He went to the cross on the day of preparation. Jesús murió el día de preparación. He went to the cross to become the meal that you and I would receive when we enter into the rest of God. Cristo fue a la cruz para hacerse la comida que usted y yo preparar, uh, la, la comida preparada para que cuando usted y yo entráramos al sábado al descanso de Dios pudiéramos recibirlo a él y comer de él. Somebody ought to say uh, thank you Jesus for that because he is the image of full and complete preparation. Cristo es la imagen de la preparación completa y la preparación total. And he has prepared for you complete and total preparation. Nothing is missing. Nothing is lacking. Jesus didn't leave one thing out at the cross. Jesús no dejó nada fuera en la cruz. Y eso es para que usted y yo entendamos la, la, la plenitud de su preparación. Look at Psalm 45, verse 1. These are some things the Bible calls us to be ready for. Salmo 45, verso 1. If you could give me that on the screen, please. Uh, Salmo 45, verso 1. Psalm 45, verse 1. It says, my heart overflows with a good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready, ready writer. Just leave that up there for me for a minute. Dice ahí el salmista en una expresión de adoración. Él dice, mi corazón rebosa de un buen tema. Now this is a psalm in which the psalmist has been thinking about the king. He's been thinking about God. What happens when you start thinking about God? Your cup starts to flow. Cuando se comienza a pensar de Dios, la copa se comienza a llenar. If, if you haven't taken the time to do that in a while, I recommend it. Just start thinking about God. And you don't have to think about all of God. Just start thinking about one thing about God. About how God has brought you peace. And just start thinking about all the peace God has brought you. And while you're doing that, that cup that was empty starts getting a quarter full, half full, and then three quarters full. Before you know it, it's full. And then it's overflowing. That's what the psalmist says is happening. He says, my heart is just overflowing with a happy thought, a happy theme. And he says, I address my verses to the king. I am telling God what I think about him. I am telling God what he means to me. And he says, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. What is the psalmist saying he's ready to do here? He's saying, I'm ready to worship God. El salmista aquí nos está diciendo, mi copa está rebosando con este tema. Estoy pensando en la grandeza de Dios, en la belleza de Dios. Se ha llenado mi copa con este pensamiento y mi lengua es la pluma de un escritor listo. Así que vemos ahí la necesidad de estar preparados para adorar a Dios. Let me ask you tonight, are you ready to worship God? ¿Está usted listo para, pre, preparado para adorar a Dios? When you and I come to the house of God, we've got to come with one thing in mind. I'm going to worship God. 
Tenemos que vivir con esa preparación. Y cuando venimos a la casa de Dios, decir, yo estoy preparado para adorar a Dios. I didn't come to see who came to church. I'm glad you came to church. But I came to worship. Say amen, somebody. I know there are different reasons people come to church. Some people come to church to find a spouse. Some people come to church to find some business, some customers. That's not why we come to church. That meant somebody. We came to worship God. We came to the house of prayer to talk to God. Are you ready to worship God? Well, what about when you get bad news? What about when the doctor tells you that you have a sickness? What about when the lawyer tells you that it doesn't look like the case is going to be won? You got to be ready to worship God then too. Tenemos que estar listos para adorar a Dios en toda circunstancia. Cuando recibimos mala noticia, cuando recibimos una, una noticia no muy buena del abogado, tenemos que estar listos para adorar a Dios. Para decir como el salmista, to say like the psalmist did, I will bless the Lord at all times. Why would you say all times if you weren't going through a hard time? The very phrase implies that he's going through a difficulty. And he was because at that moment he had to he had to pretend to be a lunatic when he went into the Philistine camp so they wouldn't arrest him. And they said, hey, isn't that the giant slayer? But he was pretending to be crazy and he let his, his saliva run down his mouth or down, uh, out of his mouth down his beard so that the people would see him and say, David has lost his mind. Don't bother arresting him. He's lost his mind. Imagine the humiliation and the, and the, the way that he felt uh, low. But he comes out of that and says, My, I will bless the Lord at all times. I've got a reason to praise God no matter what. No matter what I'm going through, no matter where I'm at in life, no matter the circumstance or the difficulty, I am ready to praise the Lord. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. I know some people that can worship God at the drop of a hat. There's some of you in here tonight. And I know some people, you got to prime the pump. Come on, somebody, you got to be ready. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. I'm just ready to talk about God, to talk about his goodness, his kindness, his love, his mercy, his grace, his provisions, his sustaining power in my life, his attributes, his, his ways, his wisdom, all the things that God is and that God does. I'm ready to talk about it. I'm ready to do it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 2. Paul speaks here about the readiness of the believer. And he talks about the believer's readiness to give. 2 Corinthians 9, 2. Segunda de Corintios 9, 2. Aquí está otra de las cosas que el, el creyente debe estar listo para hacer. Paul says, For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely... That Acacia has been prepared since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. 
Now, what's Paul talking about? He's going to visit the Corinthians. Pablo va a visitar los Corintios. Y él dice, yo sé que ustedes están listos para entregar una ofrenda. He says, I know your readiness. He's talking about their willingness, their readiness to give an offering. The Corinthians had a habit that when they heard that Paul was coming, they started putting money aside. Because they wanted to bless the man of God. They wanted to invest in the ministry. They wanted to sow seed. Ellos, los corintios, era un pueblo que tenía el hábito de cuando ellos escuchaban que Pablo venía, comenzaban a preparar una ofrenda. Comenzaban a preparar algo, algo digno, algo uh, para invertir en el reino, para poder uh, poner semilla en buena tierra. This needs to be a habit for the believer. Esto debe ser el hábito del creyente estar listo para dar. To be ready to give. The readiness to give begins with the heart. Primero eso comienza con el corazón, a heart of generosity. Eso comienza primero con el corazón, un corazón de generosidad. That, that's why the, Paul writes in another place to the Corinthians, and he says, when you give, do not give grudgingly. What does grudgingly mean? That means you walk out of church saying, they took my money. <laughs> and not out of necessity, meaning you didn't feel, you didn't feel the need or the uh, pressure to give. Dice Pablo, no des de necesidad. No des porque. Si no das, te van a ver mal. O si no doy. Uh, me van a juzgar o si no doy eh, eh, el pastor no me va a ver bien no, nada de eso dice da, da porque hay un corazón alegre he says give out of a cheerful heart God loves a cheerful giver and that doesn't mean you come dancing with your offering right? it just means that your heart is generous toward God what do you need Lord what do you want from me when you're sitting in church or sitting in the drive-in and the Lord says, give that person next to you $20. And you say, I rebuke you, devil. Get thee behind me, Satan. I shall not give my lunch. Or you say, yes, Lord. I'm ready to give. To be generous begins with the heart. And then it begins with preparing in your finances to give to God. And saying, you know what, I can't, I can't spend 100% of what I make this month. I've got to save some to give to God. I've got to make a portion of what I receive God's. And I'm not just talking about the tithe. That already belongs to the Lord. But giving what he has given to us back to him. And saying, Lord, here's the tithe and here's an offering too. I'm ready to give. How many of you are ready to receive? Are you ready to receive? Now, how do you receive? You've got to be ready to give. ¿Cuántos están listos para recibir? Todos queremos recibir. ¿Cómo recibimos? Estando listos para dar. With a, with a, a, a light grip on the things that God has given to us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. Primera de Timoteo 6, 16. 
The Bible says, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Dice la palabra del Señor, instruyelos a hacer lo bueno, a ser ricos en buenas obras y generosos y listos para dar. One of the things that you learn in kindergarten is sharing. How to share your crayons. I'm not going to share my crayons with them because they break them. And they wear the point off. But Paul says, be ready to share. Be ready to give. Be ready to take of what you have. And to be able to bless somebody else. That readiness of the believer is so essential to what, what John's ministry was. He said, Pastor, what does giving have to do with being prepared for the Lord? And the simple link is this, that when your hands are free from greed and avarice and wanting stuff and just focusing on you, you start to prepare your heart to receive the Lord himself. He's looking for a heart, a person who's, who's selfless. Who's not only ready to serve others because by serving others, they're also prepared to serve him. Then in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, we're giving another instruction. 1 Peter 3, 15, but, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence. Now we see that we are to be ready to make a defense. The word there is apologia. Which is not a, uh, an apology. But a, an argument in defense of the word of God. Or in defense of the gospel. And you and I are told to be ready to make a defense of what? For everyone who asks to give an account of the hope that is within you. Now everyone in us, in, in here, has a hope. Because we believe in God. We believe in the Bible. But there are people who don't believe in God. They don't believe in the Bible. And they come to us and they say, why are you so happy? Why are you so peaceful? Why are you smiling? And you say, because I have the peace of God. Because I believe the Bible. Because I know what God's word says about this situation. About my circumstances. And Paul says, Peter says, be ready to give an answer. Because some people are then going to ask, well, why do you believe the Bible? Why do you believe in God? How do you know there's a God? How do you know the Bible is true? There are a lot of... Sacred books out there. How do you know the Bible is the one? And the believer must be ready to give an answer. Be ready to say, I believe in God for these reasons. I believe in God because I see in the creation order and I see in the creation beauty and I see in the creation that there is Design And these things tell me that there has to be a designer. There has to be a maker. It couldn't have happened by accident. 
I believe in God because when I, when I look at the world that has been created, I see that there is purpose in it and there is a work of uh, the, the handiwork, the, the fingerprints of a good God. I believe in the Bible because it has proven to be inspired by God through the fulfillment of prophecy and the revelation of physical phenomenon which science has had not yet discovered. We're already discovered in the Word of God. I believe in the, uh, in the Bible because it has proven to be able to change people's lives. You have to be ready to give an answer, to make a defense for the hope that's within you. So that people know that our hope is not just some wishful thinking, but it is a rock-solid hope because it is built on the foundation of truth. That truth is revealed in God's Word. Unfortunately, many Christians are often unprepared to make a defense. So how do you know that God is real? Well, I don't know. How do you know that Jesus existed in history? Well, let me call the pastor to see if he can give you an answer. No, you be ready to give an answer. You read some books and prepare yourself for this generation, for this age. And the church has lost many opportunities because throughout uh, history, especially at least in my lifetime, whenever someone brought a doubt or a question, the church or church people would just say, you need to believe in the Bible and stop being like that. Stop thinking like that. And instead of giving an answer, they gave a rebuke and led, led to the conclusion in many people's hearts, this must not be for me. The Bible says, how are we to do this? With gentleness and reverence. And Jude says to do with patience. To be patient with the unbeliever. To be patient with the doubter. Because it could be that they're asking you questions not to try to unravel your faith, but to try to tap in to what your faith is. There's something in you that's real, that's life-changing, that's powerful, that's giving that's giving you stability when the world around you is falling apart. People want to know what that is. They want to know that it's not something you bought at, on, on eBay or Amazon. It's not something you got at the drugstore. It's not something you found in a nightclub. It's something you found in a relationship with God. Be ready always to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. And then we see 2 Corinthians chapter 10 Verse 6, this is one of my favorite ones, There's this, the last two here tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, Scripture says, Be, we, Paul says, we are ready to punish all disobedience where, where, whenever your obedience is complete. Now, what does that phrase mean? I say this is one of my favorites because it just it sounds cool, right? Ready to punish all disobedience. Now, it's not talking about a dad walking around with a paddle, right? He's ready to punish all disobedience. Paul is speaking here in the context of spiritual warfare. And he says, I'm ready to whip any demon I run into. That's the expression that Paul 
is giving us here. Are you ready like that? Because later he says our, our, our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. And he says we're going to subject every lie, everything that raises up itself to the knowledge against the knowledge of God. We're going to subject it. What's Paul saying? I'm ready to arrest every demon, every lie that comes across my way. You don't have to be ready for spiritual warfare. Say amen, somebody. Be ready to make spiritual war. Tenemos que estar listo para la guerra espiritual. Now, I'm not just talking about, and Paul isn't saying here, I'm ready for when spiritual warfare shows up. He's saying, I'm ready to make war. He's on the offense. He's not just waiting for the problem to come. He's ready to go and take property that the devil has stolen, that the enemy has stolen. This has to be the footing of the church that you and I are always in an offensive position, ready to take um, more ground, ready to go further and expand the kingdom of God. Say amen, somebody. This is uh, this has to be our, our our position. We are ready for spiritual warfare. Ready to fight against every disobedient spirit. So when the devil uh, or, or trials or some kind of conflict shows up in your life, you don't go and hide. You stand and fight. You defend your ground. You look toward the, the answer and the authority that you have in the, in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And when you see the enemy taking your children, or you see the, uh, a, a lie of the enemy attacking your finances, you go and you make war against the enemy through prayer, through the word. You go and you stand up in the position that you have in Christ. That's what Paul is saying. He says, I'm ready to punish all disobedience. I'm ready to take on Every challenge through the tools that I have been given as a child of God. You realize how many spiritual warfare tools you have? The Bible says, uh, the psalmist David, he said, that God prepares my hands for war and my fingers to fight. He prepares my hands for war and my fingers to fight. There are at least five things you can do. Now, you should already know these. You remember some time ago we talked about them. But there's, there is prayer. You pray with your hands. We use our hands for prayer. Many times we fold our hands or we hold hands. You can fast. Say, Pastor, what do my hands have to do with fasting? If your hands don't bring food to your mouth, that's called fasting. We study the word with our hands. We take our hands. We study through the word of God. We use our hands to study the scriptures. That's warfare. The Bible tells us about the laying on of hands. When you, when you lay hands 
and you believe and you bless over your children. You're acting in spiritual warfare. You're taking on a position of offense. You're saying, devil, you can't have this. This belongs to God. This belongs to God's people. When you lay your hands on your your car or your house and you say, God, this is a tool in your hands. I forbid the devil to touch this. Making offense. The Bible says if there are any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. They will anoint you with oil. That's the laying on of hands. And the prayer of faith will make you well. And then finally, we give with our hands. That's another act of spiritual warfare. I won't reiterate that again. But when you tithe, you're going into spiritual warfare. When you give, you're going into spiritual warfare. You understand how confusing that is to the enemy when when he goes and attacks your finances and then you go to church and you bring your tithe anyway and you bring an offering anyway and he's like wait a minute I just attacked him I just stole from him and you say I don't care what you've done to my finances you're not my source God is my source I'm going to honor God I'm going to I'm going to make war with my hands come on he teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight said tonight I am ready And finally, the last one, we're to be ready for His coming. Ultimamente, debemos estar listos para su venida. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 through 6, the Bible says, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord is coming. How is it coming? Like a thief in the night. Dice Pablo a los tesalonicenses, ustedes saben bien que el día del Señor viene como un ladrón en la noche. Look at the next verse. While they are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. One of the prophetic pictures of the last day is peace and safety. And you're noticing it if you're watching the news at all. There are peace agreements that were signed in the last few months with Israel. One nation, another nation, another nation. Peace, 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 peace. And there seems to be a tranquility. And God says the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. A sudden event. Unexpected by most. And he says in verse 4, but you, brothers and sisters, that's the believer, you are not in darkness. In other words, you're not unprepared so that the day of the Lord would take you like a thief. For you are sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night or of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. You're not of the dark. You're of the light. Say, I'm ready. See, the day of the Lord or the the return of Christ is not going to catch you by surprise. If you're walking with God, because you're in the light. 
You're close to the source of information. You have insight. It's not going to take you like a thief in the night, like someone unprepared. Oh, there will be millions unprepared. And the day, maybe the day of, I was about to say the day, the Sunday after, but the day of the coming of the Lord, churches will probably be full. With all the unprepared Christians. But that doesn't have to be you. Because you're not of the darkness, you're of the light. Say amen somebody. He said it doesn't have to be you. Because you're walking in the light. And that means that you're not asleep. You're awake, you're alert. Revelation 19.7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. Listen, and His bride has made herself ready. Have you ever noticed that most weddings, Hispanic weddings for sure, start late? At Kingsway we try not to start late. Why do they start late? It's not usually because the groom didn't get ready. It's not usually because the carnegie is not ready. Usually it's because the bride is getting ready. But Revelation says rejoice and be glad for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Come on church, you and I are the bride of Christ. Say it, I am ready. And if you can't say that tonight, get ready. Don't wait another minute. Don't wait another day. Get ready. She's adorned herself. She's dressed. She's ready for his coming. There's a church today that's sleeping. There's a church today that has no idea, no spiritual intelligence of what they're living through. But you and I, come on, the body of Christ, we know. We know who he is. We know what he looks like. We know what he sounds like. We're walking with him. And we can say, I am ready. We can say like Paul, even so, come Lord Jesus. Are you ready for his coming? Hallelujah. What a day. What an experience for the believer. You're going to be like that bride back in London who they were about to get married and her husband got called into World War II. And her husband, her groom, her fiance. So they delayed the wedding. They wrote letters back and forth, back and forth, and then suddenly the letters stopped, and and then finally she got another letter, and it said that he had been lost or missing in action. And many months passed, and years passed, and finally she decided she had to let go. She said, "I'm gonna." She went upstairs and she said, "I'm gonna put on my wedding dress." And I'm going to take it off. I want to see myself in it one last time. Then I'm going to take it off and I'm going to go sell it or give it away. I have to move on. So she went up into her bedroom. 
She put on her wedding dress. She got dressed. And then downstairs, there was a knock at the door. And her missing in action groom was knocking at the door. And her mother opened the door. She says, shocked. She said, we thought you were dead. He said, no, I'm alive. Where is she? I want to see her right now. He said, she's up in her room. And he ran up the stairs not knowing what he was about to see. And he knocked on the door and she thought it was her mother. And she said, I, I'm, I'll be there in a minute. He just kept knocking. Finally, she opened the door. And you can imagine his surprise when he saw how ready his bride was. Come on, church. Jesus is coming back. The Bible said his hand is even at the door. He is ready to come for a bride that has made herself ready. A bride without spot, without wrinkle. Come on, you are that church. You are the blood-bought saints of the living God. It's time to do the work that Jesus called you to do. To serve Him. To love Him. To say, God, I'll go the whole distance. I'm going to go the whole distance no matter the cost. Because I want to be ready when you come. I want to be found working when you come. Come on, let's just stand tonight. Lift your hands to heaven. Come on, let your, let your tongue be the pen of a ready writer. Just worship God. Just honor Him tonight. Because His Spirit on the inside of you is doing a new work, a fresh work. Hallelujah. We've got to be ready to, to preach. Ready to give an answer. Ready to give. Ready to share. Ready to minister. And ready to go.